Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. I was preparing for today's show in my usual way, taking a few omega-3 supplements to engage the brain. Of course. Sipping coconut water to clear a smooth pathway for my voice. Downing buckwheat smoothies just for general well-being. I thought I had it nailed, Ken, but the first article I read this morning was a piece outlining the Novak Djokovic diet. Let me tell you, I coughed up my goji berries all over my blueberry ice cream. <laughs> it turns out I've been eating all the wrong well, superfoods. And by the sound of it, way too much of them as well. I only thought if you were eating <laughs> yeah, all that before. Poor. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're on the right path there. I mean, all of those, it all sounds like the sort of thing that people tell me smoothies, that. I'm not sure. It sounds well, a bit carb, carb-laden. Well, no, the Californians swear by it, Ken, by all accounts. Coconut water, and have you... You, were you drinking coconut well, water? Well, Ken, I wouldn't be outlining this diet that I have. You're not saying that's a lie. If it wasn't the truth, I drank some that. of it the other day. Now, we're not talking about coconut milk here. You know, the, yeah. sort, of st- the sort of coconut milk tasting stuff from the... Or even that, that sort of thick coconut stuff that you that you cook or you make curry with, you know? Yeah. Or this the is, coconut stuff that sometimes you get on loop-de-loops, not the regular loop-de-loops. Not the, not the sort of fleshy part of the coconut that you get in a bounty. Yeah, for, well, you know, not, you know, not that either. Some, okay. some kind of a simulation of that. We're talking here about the... Water of the green coconut, the unripe coconut. Yeah, what, right. the, what the Kardashians drink? Do they drink that stuff? So I'm told. It tastes like sweat. <laughs> it actually tastes like sweat. But it's like, that's not surprising in a way, because it's apparently completely isotonic. It is, in fact, almost exactly the same uh, sort of, uh, you know, osmotic balance as human sweat. And that is what it tastes a little bit like. But, you know, that's no reason why you know, just because something tastes slightly revolting doesn't mean that it's not good for you. No mention of coconut water in the Djokovic diet. Warm water. Warm water, exactly. Warm Body water temperature thing. water is what he drinks because cold water uh, draws the blood away from where he wants it in his muscles. That's what he said. Cashew butter. Warm uh, licorice tea. Pea protein shakes. Uh, a lot of avocado. No, almost no sugar. I mean, once in a blue moon he'll treat himself, but you know, no sugar, no caffeine. Um, Very few breakfast. Melatonin days. supplements to help him sleep. Uh, obviously, the big thing about Djokovic and the, and the most famous uh, aspect of his diet and something which is linked to his transformation as a player, according to him, 
from being, you know, a, a pretty good almost top player to being probably the best player in the world now is his gluten-free diet. Mm. Uh, and this book that's that he's going to put out pretty soon uh, talks about the meeting that he had with the the nutritionist who's who essentially turned everything around for him and, and transformed him, Doctor Igor Satoyevic in his native Serbia, um, and the way that he persuaded Djokovic to renounce wheat and dairy, he'd done some tests in which he believed that Djokovic had a wheat uh, and dairy was intolerant to these things. Um, the way that he persuaded him was a simple uh, a kind of a resistance test. So he said, Djokovic, what I want you to do is put your left hand against your abdomen here and now extend your right hand. Now you're going to pull, I'm going to grab your right hand, you're going to pull it back and see how much force you can exert with that right hand. I'm going to pull back against it. Okay. And obviously Djokovic, strong man, was able to exert a lot of force. Do the test a second time and he handed him a slice of white bread and he held it, hold that white bread in your left hand now yeah. and hold that against your abdomen, the white bread, and now we're going to repeat the thing. And Djokovic suddenly found he was weak as a kitten. It was as though this white bread was like a sort of kryptonite. Yeah, but it's, so it's, it's not just that if you eat it, it's a problem. I mean, if Novak Djokovic is within, you know, a hundred yards of a radical mile. I mean, if, if I'm listening to this, yeah. I'm going to the US Open with my tennis bag full, <laughs> full of, of bread. Of bread. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, gotta, just push your bag closer and closer to Novak Djokovic's seat. The, you know, it, it, will, the doctor said, okay, look, go off. You know, do, you, do you believe me now? And Djokovic said, well, look, you know, I, I can't believe it. I almost can't believe it. But, and yet the evidence of the, the experiment shows me. So he went off gluten for 14 days. Then the doctor said, hey, why don't you try this tasty bagel? And Djokovic ate the bagel. And suddenly he said, I felt like I'd woken up with a hangover. He's sort of lumbering around like, oh, no, this is from the bagel. So since that day, he hasn't, he hasn't gone near it. I mean, this is an inexact food science is, is an, uh, always developing and consistently contradicting what we thought five years ago, branch of science. Murph, I know you love a good boastful sporting nickname. I do. His Ernest Michael Jordan. Yeah, good. Mr. October, Reggie Jackson. Yeah, excellent. I like that one. How about Johnny Football? Well, see, I love Johnny Football. Johnny Football is a great nickname. I don't, I'm not even that sure that it's, that it's boastful. You know, I just like the sound of it. Well, no, like, it, I don't the, the implication like, is that this, I'll explain who he is in a moment, but that this man is, as, is the sport. Johnny Manziel, he's a new superstar of college football yeah. in the US. I, I, I don't think that... I just like the cadence of Johnny Football. It's yeah. like Johnny Utah from Point Break. Yeah, I, I, same I, type of you know pattern of Johnny offense. does work well in a lot of nicknames. It's probably yeah, I mean if I was going to have a nickname, then it, you know Johnny, I'd like to be able to incorporate Johnny, but is unfortunately that, Johnny's not my first name. Is it football so. with a, with two L's or a W? Two L's, but pronounced with a W. He's the most talked about sportsman in the U.S. this summer, largely because he keeps getting himself in trouble. This is a guy who became famous about a year ago, winning the Heisman Trophy. The best player in college football at a really young age younger I think than anyone had done it previously but since then he's getting himself in a spot now some of the trouble is reasonably serious in fairness a couple of fairly bad incidents but I can't help thinking there's been an overreaction to a lot of his misdemeanors have a listen to Skip Bale American broadcaster on ESPN but the point is Johnny walked into a fraternity party at Texas knowing full well that trouble would ensue he knew that those those frat boys there, they weren't going to like this. Yeah, that's Skip Bayless, I should have said. And he, has been, he went to a party at a college 
that wasn't his own. A rival mm. college, a rival, not, not just a rival frat within his same college game. Mm-hmm. He, went, oh, he went off to a totally different university. He went to a party there. And why weren't they going to like it? I mean, a massive celebrity walks into their... Oh, they'll frat. like it, sure. It's the people in his own... I would imagine. Oh, you mean his, he's betraying yeah, he's his betraying the trust his of his own frat? I don't really understand how the system works. Yeah, I, to be honest, I mean, do you haven't it, seen old school at Will Ferrell. Yeah, but I mean, it, what, I, I, how that plot, was that? that? No, that plot is watertight. Ken, there's absolutely no holes in that particular. Uh, film, I mean, he is. Script, but, he probably is asking for trouble if he goes to this. I mean, isn't it just like a load of booze? And it's gonna. It is gonna. Is he up. asking for national scorn, which is what he's received? Well, if no, you skip Bayless, you got to take a position. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, don't, you don't get paid. You don't get paid for sitting there going, well, on the one hand, but on the other hand. Yeah, and there's not a lot I've found in American sports broadcasting of lads going, well, you know, I just kind of think we're overreacting, we're overreacting <laughs> to this story just a little bit. I mean, there is a 60-year-old man saying the phrase frat boys and without any irony. I mean, that alone is, is quite something. We'll talk to U.S. Murph about this story a little bit later on. Brian will be on every Thursday, I should make that point right now, on yeah. Second Captains at the Irish Times, now that we've branched out to four programmes a week from this week. Joe Schmidt has finalised his coaching lineup. The last man in is his forwards coach, John Plumtree, a New Zealander who's been head coach of the Natal Sharks in South Africa for the past five years. He's won a couple of Curry Cups there, broadly their equivalent of the Rabo Pro 12, and has had a couple of good runs in their bigger competition as well, but and has been named South Africa Coach of the Year, but he was ruthlessly axed after one poor season last season. A bit of internal politics going on there as well led to his demise. We'll chat to him, chat to John Plumtree himself, and to Craig Ray, South African-based journalist, who's going to give us a little bit more background on that one. But this is our first week of four shows. We will have the Second Captain's Football coming up a little bit later on at 6pm. Make sure to listen out for that. That's 6pm Thursday if you're listening on Thursday. We'll start with the All-Ireland Football quarterfinals. The Championship has been a bit of a slow burn, it's fair to say. Each week, something spectacular has been happening in the hurling, but the football has muddled along to a certain extent. Monaghan winning the Ulster title did inject a good bit of life into it, and there have been a few good games elsewhere. The All-Ireland quarterfinal weekend is coming up this weekend, and this is where it usually takes off. Yeah, funny enough, actually, the the whole year has been spent talking about kind of the the big six teams, the, the six teams that are in Division One, and, and, you know, Tyrone... Donegal, Mayo, Kerry, Cork, Dublin. And for all of the stuff that's happened in the championship so far this year, and has actually been a very good championship, and there have been a number of shocks and surprises and all the rest, those six teams are actually all still there. Uh, and while we can say we've actually, actually had a very good football championship so far, the real business, as mm. we've been saying all year, starts this week, weekend, and that's what actually makes this weekend absolutely brilliant because we do have four, four brilliant games. Bushy McConville and David Brady are with us. Looking forward to it, David. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. In fairness, it's it's as I've been saying, it's when the big boys come out to play, and this is this is the this is the weekend. It, it, like those fantastic games and the matchups, and the, it's it's you know it's it's the for me it's the the best weekend of the of the GA. Really? Yeah. 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 Big time. More so the, the final, final. Well, that's a that's an event. That's you know, there's a lot of side shows. This is all about football. It's all yeah. about. I think it's two hundred and fifty odd players. You know, between the eight teams and a panel of thirty thirty five. You know, you're going to have you're going to, the best of the best is out this weekend in Crow Park. Yeah, yes. it's an interesting point because they, they they talk about the Super Bowl as one of these sporting events you have to go to, but actually, proper American football fans would say it's a bit of a nightmare. It's totally corporate. Whereas if you go to the championship uh, or one of the big playoff games, yeah, know. exactly. And I think we had we had uh, Brian Murphy on uh, a couple of years ago telling us that his favorite weekend was actually the the divisional championship semi finals. So there's four brilliant games on 
that weekend. Same so thing. Effect, it's like yeah, the effectively the quarterfinals leading to the Super Bowl. Uh, and it is actually brilliant. You, 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 I mean, the quality of the games this weekend aren't going to be far off All-Ireland Finals. I mean, Dublin and Cork, Mayo and Donegal, they'd be two great All-Ireland Finals. So the, the idea that you actually get, get four games of this quality in the one weekend is actually pretty brilliant. O'Shane, you're excited? Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, as, as the boys have already said, um, it's, it's the big teams, you know, this weekend. Okay, maybe... Calvin and Monaghan are a slight surprise, but uh, to me, Calvin have been the team in the championship so far. I'm really looking forward to seeing them uh, pit the wits against Kerry. Uh, Monaghan throne for me will probably be the game of the weekend. Really? We'll get to that so. one a little bit later on. I want to start with some Jim McGuinness talk. He always gives us something to chat about. Just to go back on his comments from last weekend to refresh people's memories, he's talking about the injuries. A lot of it seems to centre around Mark McHugh got a bad injury in the Ulster final. Uh, looks to possibly be back for this weekend, but he got, had concussion and a couple of other related injuries. He says, there's a duty of care to the players. I'd be fearful that our players will end up on the receiving end of something very serious soon that will cost everybody a lot of pain. We're in a dangerous position here. I fear that something's going to happen. My biggest fear is a spinal injury or a neck injury. We've got to create a situation where we feel that it's okay to put people out onto the pitch. Has Jim McGuinness raised a very pertinent point that we should be looking at more in GAA at the moment or is he just trying to get people off the Donegal backs and maybe onto Mayo backs ahead of the game this weekend? Uh, well, I do agree with him at one point. Nobody wants to see any any injuries of any serious nature and, and I think you know Mark McHugh was unfortunate the thing about the Mark McHugh incident was both players had only A's for the ball and uh, Stephen Gallagher didn't finish that game either so you know Monaghan could probably feel slightly aggrieved that you know he hasn't played any part he's probably going to struggle to make the team for this weekend or see any game time this weekend uh, I think personally speaking for Jim McGuinness this was uh, a very measured uh, thing that he wanted people to give Donegal a little bit of stick. I think he wanted to create a bit of a siege mentality right. that uh, everybody's against us. Owen, Donegal's really struggling at the minute. I watched him against Leash last week and if Leash had one more forward, uh, Donegal were out of the championship. I think they'll have recovered that a little bit better. They need time. This is an absolutely massive game. I think if Donegal can get over this game at the weekend, they have a chance then to regroup. I think that gives them three weeks until leading into the All-Ireland semi-final. So you don't necessarily think that it's one of these managerial ploys that we see in a lot of sports of just trying to deflect attention from, or de- deflect the, the criticism onto your, your opponent? Or is that what it uh, Well, is I it? don't think he's trying... I think what he's trying to do, as I say, is he's trying to create something that maybe isn't really there. I mean, are Donegal players being targeted? Yes. Is there the top forwards in the country from Mayo, Dublin, Cork, are they being targeted? Yeah. But that's that's one of the things about about uh, about Gaelic football. You know, if you're a standout player, it's the same as Messi playing soccer, uh, them boys are always, you know, singled out for a lot extra bit of attention. Um, I think, you know, there has been toward man tackles, all that sort of thing. I think uh, there's nobody better at it in my, in my book than Donegal. Mm. Uh, the likes of Murphy, the two McGee's, all those sort of boys. They're not shrinking violets by any uh, stretch of the imagination. I think uh, it adds to was already an absolutely massive game this weekend. But I think it's it is trying to create that siege mentality. Everybody's against us. Nobody wants it. I think he wants criticism this week. He's getting a little bit of criticism, and he'll use that. David, has anything happened to Donegal? Is the approach that other teams are taking to stopping Donegal any more physical or more unfair than the approach that Donegal take into games? I think a lot of teams have nearly copied Donegal. Um, you know, 
on Jimmy's point of not wanting looking after his players and he wants his players looked after, it's the same as every other manager in the GA. You know, why didn't he come out and say it two weeks ago or four weeks ago or, you know, eight months ago? Because, you know, it's part and parcel of the GA is the physicality of it. And as Oshin said, I think Stephen Gologli has been unfairly indirectly um, pointed to say, look at the injury with the head with Mark McEwen. It was a serious injury. I don't like to see it to any player. But Oshin's been in dressing rooms. I've been in dressing rooms where managers say, if it's a 60-40 ball and you're the 40, put your hand where you're, you know, put your head where you wouldn't put your hand. And that's what Gologli did. It showed hunger that Monaghan hadn't won an Ulster Championship in 25 years. But I I think that Jimmy, he probably got his timings a bit wrong. Um, one, he didn't know who he was out against, so he just had to give a, a general context. He wants his players, um, he wants to try and get in my, inside the mind of a referee to a degree and mm-hmm. say, if it's if it's any way of foul at all and there's a big furore on the sideline and the crowd react, you know what, I'll blow it. And it's these one or two calls that might, that like um, the referee for for um, this weekend's game hasn't, he, you know, he hasn't been in the bunker for the week. He's going to hear this. He, he's going to, to a degree, Pat, Mane- Pat McEnany says, don't worry about the referee, they won't be influenced. Like if you're going to have players in a gym at six o'clock in the morning, if you're going to have them doing weight session three, four times a week for eight, nine months, it's not to look good in the mirror. It's to be able to be up with the physical stakes of football and that's the way it's gone. None of us want to see a player injured, but I think on the other hand of it, um, that Jimmy said it on the Sunday and Jim's um, return serve on the uh, he on did, the yeah. Just to go to James, James Horn, just said, look, essentially he said nobody wants to see their players injured. Uh, they're Donegal have brought physicality to a new level. Every team has injuries. Get on with it. I think was essentially the the point that James Horn was making. So, is it? There's no agreement with McGuinness, or is, there's no fear that the physicality is a little too much at the moment, Oshin, that maybe we are going to... It's a funny sport in that you've got a guy like Michael Murphy in the same team as a guy like Mark McHugh, totally different builds of players, which you don't necessarily see in all sports. That's not a, a potentially a problem, is it? Uh, it is a problem because if somebody like Michael Murphy is hits you at full speed, you're going to know about it um, and you're going to probably come off the worst of it. Um, but that sport, same thing in rugby. Look at the size of the, you know, the guys. Look at the Ronan O'Gars who's survived for you know fifteen years playing at the highest level, and he's took plenty of hits. You know, you're going to take hits. It's a byproduct of playing sport, uh, competitive uh, sport. You're going to take a few hits. Um, it's probably been highlighted a little bit in the last couple of weeks because there has been a few injuries, like the Mark McHugh uh, incident. There has been a few more concussions, which is something. There's no doubt that the GA need to keep an eye on it. I think they have done. I think they've been very proactive on that. But uh, I just, I just feel as if it's a lot, of, it's a lot of nonsense. Physicality's been in the game. It, Gaelic football is nothing without physicality. But lads uh, are bigger and stronger these days. It doesn't matter. Then that's up to you to train as hard. I think. I think sometimes we look at the bigger players and we think that you know if he hits somebody like Mark McHugh, Mark McHugh is training probably equally as hard. He might be lifting the same quality of weights or um, or that as as Michael Murphy, but he can take a hit. You know, um, like. Uh, just a fellow from my own club, Jamie Clark. I mean, you wouldn't give two p for him if you walked in through the door because, like, he's slight and all that there. But he can ride the tackles, and when you're smaller, you sort of have to adapt and you have to uh, change your game slightly. And that's exactly what what the good players do. James, sorry, David, you wanted to come in there, yeah? Uh, and that I think I think you know I was at the Down Donegal game, and uh, it was Rory Kavanagh actually who got concussed as well, and I it was. It was a clash in the middle of the field 
with a big unit of a player in Callum King from down. You know, I wouldn't like to run into him. And But it was totally focused on the ball, breaking ball, and there was a clash. And unfortunately, Rory, <coughs> Rory Cavanaugh was concussed. But I think the way the game has gone is that, I suppose, in our day, Oshin, we were the... You were the pretty boys in the forward line, and we were the big boys around the middle. But now the way it's still gone, the same, isn't <laughs> the same, yeah, you're still pretty. <laughs> but now it's that you have your corner forward out around the, with the big boys. You know, to have them going back into the fence. They mightn't be the same physical stature, but they're well able to mix it. And and there's a lot of bang and hitting in around the middle now. And it's the turnover in the tackle that I see the physicality in football now, not in open play. Yeah, the I know there was a sense of grievance in Mayo last year that. Joe Brawley had highlighted Mayo's cynical play in the build-up to the All-Ireland final was in, in, after the semi-final against Dublin. Is there anything like that this time around? Are people saying, oh, what's Jim McGinnis talking about? This is... Well, you don't mind. You don't mind the manager coming out for the, for the sake of... Every manager is, is, is out for the, best, the better of his team, whether it's psychologically or physically or mentally or emotionally, and, and no one has a problem with it, really. You know, um, James Horne got to speak back in, but I think what people would have a problem if me or Rushing came here and we'd only won we had only one one agenda, and that was to, to get out a certain message and not talk about the build-up to a game or the context of a game or what's involved in the game. And um, I think that's 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 where, where I think a lot of neutrals see it, never mind the one side of Mayo people. But people in Mayo aren't going mad that McGuinness has been saying this that's this week. No. no, I think, and what, are, what it boils down to, and it's not, it's, it's, we all have opinions, I, Jimmy McGuinness is under pressure. Um, Mark McHugh is his cog in that wheel. That cog is, is that wheel is buckling, and he can't. He hasn't got four or five players to come on. Like last year, we seen the likes of Ryan Bradley, and we're right and say he come on in every game with twenty two minutes to go. Nearly, it was it was organised. It was premeditated because he was given the likes of Gallagher, or Kavanaugh rest. They haven't got the bench. Um, is it Ryan McHugh made his debut in the down game in the championship? You know, he hasn't got the strength and depth of other teams in the county. Or in the country, and the likes of the Dublins, the likes of probably Mayo to a lesser degree, Cork, uh, for sure. Cork, yeah. yeah. And so he's gone. If I lose another one between now and an Ireland semi-final, we're in serious trouble. Is is that a big issue as well, though? That he's playing Carl Lacey, and Carl looks injured, and he was talking about Mark McHugh. Uh, I think it was after the Leach game, and the way he was saying it was, you know, he's our most important player. He's so important to our system. I mean. If he's that important to your system, you're relying to an unhealthy degree on a player, which is which is a weakness in itself. Well, I would doubt, and you know, it, it's no matter how much you practice it, you practice it with the main people involved. And McHugh was the main man, and it's, you know, he's going to try and get players to replicate it. The system is an overall system, but one man is key. You know, with that one man back extra in defence, and every single time. McHugh's work rate was, is phenomenal. Mm. He got up and down, up and down, and he was someone's going to have to replicate that. And there, there's there's players there. They used to play in that system long enough, but it is it is you know it is it is something that Donegal are going to struggle with. Um, having Carol Lacey, you know, Carol, I seen in the the leash game. He got his twenty minutes, and and he's not one hundred percent fit. Um, 
O'Sheen's will, <laughs> nodding in agreement will, there. Will, yeah. will Carlesi start? Is it a thing to Alan Dillon say, Alan Dillon, this man kept you in his pocket for 70 minutes last year in the Ireland final. He'll do it again? Or will have you thinking about it during the week, even though he might yeah, play? He, he is, he's struggling, and, and Donegal are struggling with numbers purely now because Declan Wall seemed to pick up an injury towards the end of that game last week. That's an, an, a, one less option on the bench. Ross Ward, he didn't see any game time last week at all for the first time in the Championship, so maybe he doesn't have the trust in him, maybe that he seemed to have early in the championship uh, he's just running out of options um, I'm not saying for one minute that they can't turn this around of course they can it's going to take something sim- something uh, like a start they got the last day against Mayo they're going to have to guard up uh, I actually fancy Mayo at the weekend but uh, if Donegal can turn this around this will be Jim McGuinness's finest hour as, a, as, as Donegal manager without, without a doubt and Jimmy said at the start if Donegal win this game they're getting like they went through the whole campaign in early last year. Ninety nine percent of the players won, were one hundred percent fit. If they can come through next Sunday. They're going to be a serious force to be reckoned with. Is the issue for Mayo though quite an obvious one? We don't know where they're at yet because they've had a surreal march through the Connacht Championship. Well, I think the one game uh, it was played behind closed doors was the they played Monaghan in the challenge match and. Uh, it was there was no holds barred uh, in that game. Uh, both teams really went at it. I think Monaghan pipped them by a couple of points, um, and I think uh, Mayo found out where exactly they were that they were way off the pitch uh, of where they needed to be. Um, and I think since that, uh, David might be able to tell you about it. But I think uh, training in the Mayo camp has been of a serious intensity, and that's what they'll need to bring at the weekend. It was it was a great draw for Mayo though. Really, getting Donegal at this time, I, oh, I, yeah. I think that's oh, they yeah, needed yeah, it. Yeah, the Connacht draw probably wasn't too kind to them, but you can only beat what's in Connacht as such. But they like it's like every team; they're going to need to find their second wind in Championship football. They haven't found it yet. They haven't been tested. Um, but again, you know what? It's you know where is any team realistically? Um, you have your Currys, you have your Monaghan's, you have your Dublin's, and you have Mayo's provincial fi- winners. Where they all will know this weekend. We don't really know what kind of you know form a certain team is going to bring in until the big day in Crow Park and, and that's that this weekend but the the actual training um, behind closed doors has seriously intensified in the last four weeks five weeks James Horan said to me actually before that game before the Monaghan Donegal game okay, yeah. uh, down underneath in, in McHill Park after the one day um, Ulster or the Connacht final he says I guarantee you Monaghan are going to win it today really? yeah he said because there was such an intensity in that game, and it probably these kind of games are probably better than your your full Connacht championships because they give you an idea, an indication, and um, again, if if Donegal come out and go all guns blazing, whether it's high balls in or it's just you know attacking threes or fours down the middle at Mayo, they they, they haven't been questioned all year, and it's it's they're going to be questioned under no doubt at some stage for some point or some period in the game, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they react. That sounds like one of those legendary mythical games. If Either Monaghan or Mayo win the All Ireland yeah, final. Yeah, It'll be this, yeah. this incredible <laughs> yeah, war. The, the, the day it all yeah, seven, out. Seventeen yeah. players got concussed. Yeah. All this kind of stuff going Dublin against Cork. Murph, I know you have a bit of a wacky theory here that Dublin are going to win this by well, about fifteen points. I, I have to say, right? I was Galway Cork last Saturday was was a very good game of football, and Galway obviously came from nowhere with a pretty good performance uh, and did well and should have won the game. Now, a lot of the reports that I read afterwards were, you know, Cork managed to you know find their mojo in the last ten minutes and turned it on and that's how they won basically Galway had tried so hard for this particularly the second quarter and the third quarter to get into the game 
had gone five points up. Basically, they were running on empty and didn't have anyone to bring on off the bench. Cork emptied the bench, and they did bring on some pretty good players, but Gola were gone. With 10 minutes to go, they were just totally and utterly gone, and Cork basically kind of pushed over, pushed a uh, guy falling over, uh, over uh, out over the ropes, you know? Mm. And I just didn't see anything in Cork. I didn't see. I just saw a team that were disinterested, that you know looked tired, didn't look like they had any belief in themselves. I think Dublin are going to win this easy. You know, I think Dublin could stick seven or eight points on Cork okay. this weekend. Yeah, uh, I know what Morph's, I know where Morph's coming from, but uh, I, I just think that he's the, a total idiot. <laughs> yeah, I just think <laughs> he's wrong. I concur, <laughs> no, yeah. no, I just think that uh, the problem for Jim Gavin is what Cork team's going to turn up? What way are they going to play? I've seen them play twice in the championship this year, and they played uh, completely differently on both occasions. I've seen them play once against Donegal in the league this year, and they played ultra defensive. And to be honest, they, they beat Donegal that day, and it sort of worked for them. But Donegal were, were way off the mark. I think the more uh, direct uh, Cork are, the more problems they'll give Dublin. But how many times have we seen them being direct? I've seen them playing uh, last year in the championship under direct for 35 minutes. They absolutely blew whoever it was away. And they come out Kildare in the second half, wasn't it? Kildare in the quarterfinal, in the yeah. quarterfinal last year. And then yeah. they come out in the semi-final and you know, played really well for 35 minutes again and then just completely dropped off. They had pushed up on Mark McHugh. They had pushed up on all the Donegal players. They made it so difficult for Paul Durkin kicking out, uh, kicking out the ball. Second half, I thought, this is going to be a real good game. Cork completely retreated into their shell. As Morph says, not really playing with that much confidence. But for Jim Gavin, how does he plan for playing against Cork this weekend? Okay, he gets his matchups after that. Who knows if they're going to play defensive, if they're going to go gung-ho. If, you know, one thing I would think that sh- they will do is they'll put serious pressure on, on Cluxon's kickouts. They'll put serious pressure on Cluxon's kickouts to mi- win that midfield sector. Win that midfield sector. That gives them a platform to maybe you know challenge. But I, I, would, I would say that uh, Cork will show up this weekend. And I think Dublin probably just edged past them. I wouldn't imagine, yeah, psychologically, I wouldn't imagine Cork would have any sort of fear of Dublin. In fact, they might quite relish this match, David. What do you think? Oh, yeah, if it was if it was the likes, I suppose, if it was the likes of a lesser team or a less glamorous team, they mightn't be up for it. But the the, the Cork boys are definitely going to be up for it. And, and Murph, it's it's good to see you're, you're still wrong. I don't think it's going to be like that. I don't know any team that puts the effort in that are are going to be disinterested in GA, no matter if it's a if it's a Mickey Mouse game uh, opening a pitch or if it's an Ireland quarter final. A team can look yeah. flat sometimes. Yeah, maybe you can you can, you can look flat because you're, the team you're probably playing is just as flat. And it, it's, it's sometimes you play as good as the team you play against. And Dublin are a serious force this year. But I do think if we, the one thing they're probably missing, and we're probably all probably missing it from Cork is a freshness. I think probably uh, Con Holland is there for a certain length of time now and there's been no freshness mm. brought into the team this is the team that won am I right the All-Ireland in 2011 2010 yeah 2010 you know the majority of the guys are still there they're not over the hill by any means there's a certain um, certain amount of them on their last legs but I always feel that if a player's on his last legs with only a year or two to go that's when you're going to nearly get the best out of them yeah f- funny enough like, the, the point that I would make about Cork was after about 15 minutes Aidan Walsh got the ball against Galway on Saturday and just Went straight through the goal of defence. Like, absolutely just tore them asunder. Uh, got to within about 14 yards. Blasted the ball off the crossbar. And I was like, this guy is going to destroy us. And he's a brilliant footballer. Aidan Walsh is an absolutely yeah. brilliant footballer. But he actually 
he had very little impact on the game then up until the goal with about 10 minutes to go. And I, I was just thinking, the guy is actually a perfect metaphor for the Cork team because he's obviously brilliant, has all the, all the gifts, all, everything you need. If you're making a modern-day footballer, you'd look at Aidan Walsh and say that's pretty much the prototype. And you just don't see it. You just don't see enough of it. And I think that, that, that's pretty much where this Cork team is. Yeah, all right. Want to move on? Two more matches to talk about. Tyrone Monaghan. Is that was the one notion you yeah, said? Yeah, I think the game that's of the game of the weekend because I think uh, two things. Monaghan have a huge belief, which they haven't had in a long, long time. Uh, Tyrone have had a serious hoodoo over Monaghan. I think Monaghan. Uh, I think uh, Tyrone have beat them last five, six, maybe even seven occasions. Uh, championship wise, first time they've ever met in the quarterfinals. So. Uh, for me, game of the weekend, um, I think Tyrone, the way they keep that scoreboard taken over, I think in McCurry they found somebody who can who can consistently kick the ball over the bar, you know, when Stephen O'Neill is held. Calvin looked back to his best last weekend. In fact he looked he looked even better probably than he than he has been. So you can get another performance out of him like that. Uh, won't be a lot in the game again. I don't think there'll be a lot in any of the games of the weekend. I think maybe Tyrone will be a point or two. How mental did Monaghan go after the Ulster final? Is that gonna be part of the well, I think they drank till the Tuesday. Maybe I think I think uh, the the train on the Wednesday night. I don't think they actually went too too mad. I think they probably when they sit when they sat back on Sunday night, Monday night, and they realised you know the performance after putting in, they probably think there's more out there for them, and they're probably right because there's no team I don't think at this stage in the championship that has put their hands up and said we're way better than everybody else and yeah. they'll they'll fancy their chances and uh, you know this is if there's ever a day for beating Tyrone this this would be the day for them David? Yeah like Sean I think Sean Cabin's playing better than ever again is he a player with only two or three years two years left you know a lot of miles in the clock Are they a last, b- last year's injury was a big thing for Sean Cabin and a big thing for Tyrone while they didn't progress Bizarrely have to, are Tyrone now a one man team? No but you know it's, it shows you how important one man is mm. when they didn't progress last year and where they got to um, he makes them, you know, when when things needed to be turned, even, you know, the last day, Kavanagh stepped up to the plate. Um, he was the best player in Crow Park out, out, out of the three games, by a, a mile. By for a mile. For, by, by a la- you know, the last 12 months, the best individual display. Can he, can he do it? You know, the likes of Owen Lennon and Darren Hughes are going to have their hands full. He, but may, the one, be, he may be targeted ever yeah. so slightly. The big thing is that uh, Tyrone scored nine points from freeze. Yeah. So you're 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 going to say, Monaghan, we cannot, we cannot give yeah. them. Freeze. That's been their Achilles' heel this yeah. past two years, though they couldn't kick the ball over yeah. the bar from free kicks. Yeah, they didn't yeah. actually miss one place ball last week, which in itself is a pretty impressive statistic. All right, Kerry against Cabin. We were talking to Ronan Carroll and Vincent Cal, a couple of previous uh, players for Cabin, won the Ulster title in '97. They both were quietly confident that something could happen here, and maybe it's a bit patronising of the rest of us towards Cabin to think that they're going to turn up and give Kerry a game can they possibly do more than that Ashim? Yeah I think they can I think uh, as I said earlier the, the, for me they're the team of the season uh, they've come out of basically nowhere they've brought a, cr- a crop of young lads on um, under 21 minors who aren't used to getting beat uh, they don't accept defeat you know as easily as the previous Cavan teams um, Kerry have struggled against Armagh Tyrone and, and more recently Donegal with their defensive systems Cavan have played that defensive system and may even play slightly more defensively at the weekend and I can't blame them because when you look at the five of the carry forwards I mean you know they will absolutely tear you apart if you give them any sort of room whatsoever the only thing about the carry forwards is they can above everybody else 
they can operate in those wee small pockets of space and and that's probably gives them the edge over Calvin but I wouldn't be discounting Calvin uh, willy nilly because I think you know what they have done they've built nicely uh, they've improved all the time uh, they really wanted Monaghan in the draw because because they want to have another crack at them, right. but uh, they didn't get that. They've got probably got the toughest draw of all as far as as far as I'm concerned. I fancy Kerry to go on and win the All Ireland, but um, from from that point of view, uh, I just see Kerry again just about getting over the lane because they do have that extra little bit of quality up front. All right, give us your four winners this weekend, then David. First of all, um, Tyrone, um, Mayo, mm-hmm. Curry. Or Kerry, is it? How is it pronounced? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dublin. Was she in any changes? No, I go along with I that. Think, I think that the, the Cavan game for me... After is, all this great analysis, you're just agreeing uh, it's, it's, it's a done deal. Could have said this half an hour team. ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 I should have asked. <laughs> 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 Don't ask us then. We would have asked if we'd have walked out. All right, enjoy the football this weekend. It's very exciting weekend. David Brady, Oshie McConville. Great stuff. A pleasure. So that's the question that's going to be asked, answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight, tonight, into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight, their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. Second Captains Football. Available on irishtimes.com, Second Captains, and iTunes from 6 p.m. tonight. Tonight, 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 tonight. I know it might have been a little unfair to label Tyrone as a one-man team. I'm just interested in it because Mickey Hart has done such an amazing job over the years of integrating footballers all over the field in, yeah. in interchangeable positions, and he's built up this incredible talent pool. Of course, there are more. It's not as though Sean Gavin is the only talented player on the team, but they're hugely reliant on him. And Mark, we could are Donegal a one-man team? Is Mark McHugh Donegal's one man? Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a different kind of one-man team in that Mark McHugh is very important part of a bigger system whereas with Sean Kavanagh I mean I don't have the words to describe how good he was last Saturday he was just absolutely brilliant uh, bestrode Crow Park on like a colossus and uh, I mean 8 points from midfield is, is pretty impressive and I think that while he, it may not be a one man team certainly you're absolutely fair in asking the question given his impact uh, the impact of his absence last year and the impact that he's made uh, this year, I would imagine the other fourteen players on a team wouldn't be too happy if a team is labelled a one-man team. That's just the cruel stratification of life, huh? Sometimes other people are better than you. Sometimes it's just one guy who's better than everyone, and that's just something that people have to put up with. Yeah, yeah, and you do really, you know. Let's get to it. That's right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there. You got the potatoes yeah. and the puchin, huh? And the puchin. Oh yeah, there you are. Bone and bread. Uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. So, oh, there is widespread wailing and gnashing of teeth on Tuesday when uh, there was no P. Bezel. People were asking, is it gone? Is it over? W- have we heard the last of the Pierce Brosnan emigrant shoutouts? <laughs> you crazy? Switch with Thursday. You mad? Uh, raising the bar is what this slot is all about, as you know, Owen and Ken. Uh, standing still is going backwards. You know that that's my motto. So, congratulations to Cormac O'Connell, who has brought. Pierce Brosnan's Emergent Shadows to a whole new level this week by holding a hashtag PBezo sign over Pierce Brosnan's stare on the Walk of Fame on Hollywood Boulevard this week. I mean, 
That's good yeah, going. That's, that's good, good stuff. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever been there. I haven't been to the, it, no. You know, he would have been tramping up and down for a while looking for that. Yeah. There's quite a lot of, as you can imagine, quite a, a galaxy of stars on that yeah, yeah, path yeah. there. So, I mean, to be honest, I thought he went, had to think, uh, you know, saw Pierce Brosnan, that was that. The more you you, just, you describe it to me there, Ken, it turns out Cormac actually went, he went all out for her. And I appreciate it because he sent an email as well. I, Cormac O'Connell, and my girlfriend Fiona Buckley have been living in London for the last five years and are on a five-month tour of Canada, America, and South America. Thanks to the free Wi-Fi in Starbucks and McDonald's, I've managed to download the latest podcast for the various four- to eight-hour drives. Herself wasn't too enamoured about listening to a group of lads talking about sport, but Murph's cheeky lad-from-the-village persona has won her over, hence giving me my sport fix. We're off to Colombia the day after tomorrow and in South America for four months of travelling. And the sign... Is coming with us. Uh, regards, Cormac O'Connell. So, Cormac, please, at every stop, please keep us in mind and send on the, the photographs. Uh, so, emigrants, you know what to do now. The bar has been has been, has been been raised. The next rational step for you, I think, is to find Pierce Brosnan. There's really only one more. Yeah. Isn't it? That's basically it. Find Pierce Brosnan uh, and then give him a hashtag P. Bezos sign. Now, of course, he's probably going to have a P. Bezos sign on him anyway, but maybe just to be on the safe side, bring your own uh, my request last week for photos of people holding uh, P. Bezos signs at various locations around the world has been well I'm going to call it a qualified success yeah a lukewarm response Caro Reardon and Catherine Fitzgerald sent us a photograph of them with the sign from inside the MCG last week for that Liverpool pre-season game singing uh, you'll oh, never walk alone that's on. pretty good Keen Higgins is a primary school teacher in Surrey and is pissing and moaning he actually had the cheek to piss and moan about six weeks of holiday uh, compared to his colleagues in Ireland who have eight weeks of holidays uh, as a businessman and private enterprise mogul, I have nothing but contempt for your public sector ways, Keen. But you did write hashtag PBEZO on your whiteboard before you left. So I'll give you your mention. But don't ask me to be happy about it. Uh, Billy Craven's in Abu Dhabi and decided to send us a photograph of him standing at a very nice roundabout. And we thank him for that. Sean Page was listening to our podcast at 12.26am in South Korea and sent us a photograph of his iPhone showing the second captain's logo. But no PBEZO sign. Seems to be a lot of listeners in South Korea. South Korea. Yeah, yeah, loads. And uh, Rory Flood is listening in from Munich in Germany and decided to send us a photograph of last year's Oktoberfest for some reason. So we don't really want your holiday snaps, nice and all as it is. We need to see that P. Bezel sign, everyone. You can send all requests, problems, holiday tales, cautionary tales and fairy tales to editor at secondcaptains.com and I, or one of my minim- minimum wage minions, guarantee that we will definitely read the first paragraph or two before you start boring us. Otherwise, send them straight to Pierce and uh, me and him will hook up later in the week. All right. Disappointing there, Murph. There's nothing from Morocco? Uh, from Pat McQuaid? Oh, well, I mean, from? he's a proud Moroccan, or of course. Uh, well, man, he's an internationalist, really, a man of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does have very close links. He was on RT Radio, obviously, yesterday morning. Yeah. Uh, talking about how this is, it's all fine, you know? Uh, Moroccan... He was asked by Miles Young, will you go forward as a proud, not quite as a proud Moroccan, but will you walk forward proudly, nominated for Morocco? Yes. yes, I will. That's yeah. what they want. They sh- he should have asked Pat McQuaid, what was the capital of Morocco? That's what he should have asked. I would have loved to have hear- heard his answer there. I got the shock of my life last night. I was sitting down to watch a bit of ESPN Classic. Ken, the 2008 Champions League final was on. Yep. Seeing Carlos Tevez in a Man United jersey <laughs> antagonising Didier Drogba as he was getting sent off was, was, was slightly strange. But I went to see what else was on the show, on the station later on which was fine. Once I got up to midnight, channel no longer available. Yeah. ESPN Classic is done with, ESPN America is done with as well. There will be one ESPN station which remain, will be part of BT Sport, but 
yeah, a lot of like-minded sports dorks. I put it out on Twitter and people were aghast that there was no more ESPN Classic. Where do you watch superstars? Where do you watch the... 1991. You were a little obsessed with ESPN. Well, Classic that's the kind of thing I would forget about for about six weeks and then be bored channel hopping and, well, c- and, come, a- and come across Daddy Thompson just cr- dominating a bicycle and yeah. cycling it along. And yeah, but I mean, I seem to recall a lot of times over the last six months where you would come in and you would say to us all, you'll never guess what I saw on ESPN <laughs> Classic. I mean, and it, it went a lot... Broader. It was, yeah, it was an old sporting event, lads. Yeah. This station is amazing. You'll never, you'll never guess. 1978 was the year. It was the World Cup final. Mario Kempes. Yeah. He was like a Bronco. <laughs> Couldn't be tamed. Did actually watch Maradona's two goals against England from 86. Of course you did. Just last week. Time now for US Sports. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Touchdown! Touchdown, 40! Brian Murphy, you're keeping well this week. I am delighted to be back yep. on the show, uh, the podcast, whatever it is. I don't know. I can't keep up with you guys. All I know is it's great to be back, and I'm delighted. I'm sure the people of Ireland share my joy yeah, it's our that first... you guys are back. Rocking what about? Are you guys doing like 15 shows a week oh, now? We, what we, are you doing? We never stop working these days, Brian. <laughs> Absolutely never stop. But yeah, this is our first ever Thursday show, so great to have you as part of this one. And we're going to talk to you about a man or a young man. It's probably more accurate who I must confess I'd never heard of up until a few weeks ago. I don't know uh, how famous he was until then. Johnny Manziel is the name of this kid. Who is he? Oh, wow. You know, it's funny you mentioned it, and I just the thought came into my mind of the many people we've talked about on this show over the years when you and I have chatted about U.S. sports. Johnny Manziel, a.k.a. on Johnny Football. <laughs> Johnny Football is pretty much his handle that he goes by. Which uh, that you can even start with that and go from there. Just a guy who calls himself Johnny Football. Well, he doesn't call himself that. Uh, the media and fans have called him that. But what a great nickname, right? Johnny Football uh, is is one of the more fascinating characters we would ever discuss because he's truly an out of nowhere story of incredible success and fame and talent, and within even a year of us even as American sports fans getting to know this guy. To see him rise to the highest heights and win the Heisman Trophy as the greatest college football player in the country, Owen, as a freshman at Texas A&M, granted a redshirt freshman, meaning he sat out his first year and didn't play, so he's two years into college, but still his first year on the football field for Texas A&M, won the Heisman Trophy, the most prestigious college football award in the country. It's never been given to a freshman until this kid, Johnny Manziel, a.k.a. Johnny Football, won it with incredibly charismatic and engaging football, uh, a scrambling, throwing, running, dynamic kid, kind of undersized, you know, in this era of Colin Kaepernick and Cam Newton and all these big studs that we see, Andrew Luck, all these guys who've come out of college now. Johnny Manziel is not a, a physical specimen. He looks like he could have been playing 50, 60 years ago based on his body type, 
but the thrill zone with which he plays football was undeniable, and, and he surged to the kind of the fore uh, of American football consciousness last October, November, when he, he played brilliant football for Texas A&M and was so good and undeniable that he won the Heisman. But what's happened, Owen, and why you guys, I'm sure, over there are starting to take note of him is why he's in the news now is what's happening off the field, and that is this meteoric rise has come now with meteoric scrutiny from social media and from, you know, websites and you name it. And it turns out that Johnny Manziel, a.k.a. Johnny Football, is a 20-year-old kid who likes to kind of be a knucklehead. And he's been going to parties, and he's been accused of missing uh, being part of the Peyton Manning passing camp because he was drunk and hungover. And he was recently thrown out of a University of Texas fraternity party. He was caught on video with a beer being thrown at him. Uh, he was wearing a Tim Tebow jersey at the time just to kind of crank up all the drama of it. So just kind of to conclude this long-winded answer is he's an incredible football player who came out of nowhere, who captivated our imaginations, and is now running into problems trying to live the life of a newfound rock star in the age of social media scrutiny. And the question is how he's going to come out of it. Because he's got another three years of college football to play before he can even go to the NFL. Yeah, I can't believe he is the one getting thrown out of a party for having beer thrown at him. It seems like the offender might have got away lightly there. But that doesn't sound like the most spectacular rap sheet that I've ever heard. I wouldn't have thought usually this would be enough to get a guy what appears to be a badge is something of a notorious troublemaker. That's it. That's what we're kind of entering into that phase right now. Now, he's, as we speak, uh, he's actually on the cover of this week's Sports Illustrated. They, they landed this huge interview with him in which they kind of, and I haven't had a chance to read it yet because it actually hasn't even been released. Uh, it's coming to our mailboxes today. And, and it, it's apparently he opens up about everything, about you know his, his, his stumbles, his mistakes, his missteps, uh, his attempt to still try to be a kid in the world where people are thinking of him as an adult celebrity already. But you're right. A lot of people have turned on him, and a lot of people are now negative. And it's like it's a classic case. Sometimes you hear celebrities or athletes say, oh, the media, you just build us up to tear us down. Well, Johnny Manziel would be kind of candidate 1A for that. Uh, he would be the guy who would say, wait a minute. Uh, a year ago at this time, I was a nobody on Texas A&M's football team. I wasn't even sure I was going to be a starter. And then I somehow, someway, fought my way to the front of the line to be the starting quarterback. I played such incredible football. You guys voted me the Heisman Trophy winner, and now you're going to all of a sudden knock me down by saying, oh, I drank at a bar, I missed a passing camp. Uh, I guess I should probably stop on that passing camp right there and give you just a little uh, one-minute sure. detour on that, because that's really where things really started to go foul for Johnny Manziel. Now, last year, he had a, a bar fight, uh, but nobody knew who he was. He and a buddy... Uh, were accused of, of cold-cocking a guy outside of a bar. It was a bad situation. He explained it away by saying that his friend was the one who was in the fight, and he was just trying to break it up. Whatever. None of us were there. We don't know what happened. But he did have to, I think, plead to a misdemeanor or something. But nobody knew who he was then. That was last summer, summer of 2012. Now we get to know him in summer of 2013, or the fall of 2013. We move on into the winter and spring of 2013, and he starts showing up at these things. He starts showing up at NBA games. He sat in the front row. LeBron kind of shouted him out on Twitter, I believe. Uh, he started hanging out with the rapper Drake. He was photoed with the rapper Drake. And people are like, who is this guy, Johnny Football? We didn't know him six months ago. Now he's hanging out with Drake and LeBron and all this. It's kind of crazy. Now we get to the critical moment of his career 
and that is he was invited to be a counselor at the Manning Passing Academy. And there's no more, you know, royal family in, in America for quarterbacks than the Mannings, right? Of course, Archie Manning, the dad who played in the NFL. We all know Peyton Manning, and we all know Eli Manning, right? And they have a camp for kids, and they invite prominent college quarterbacks to come be counselors. And Johnny Manziel, of course, was first on their list to go. And what happened? On the Saturday morning of the camp, he no-showed. He did not show up on the practice field. He did not show up to coach the kids. And then it became revealed by ESPN that he was, quote, asked to leave the camp after, quote, missing several meetings. So that was where everything went wrong. That was about three weeks ago. And since then, it's been a firestorm. Was he hungover? Did he drink too much? On Twitter, pictures showed up of him partying in a bar in Louisiana when he should have been at bed check at the Manning Passing Academy. Then people are saying, well, he's 20, he's 21, let him be a kid. Why the scrutiny? And other people saying, well, if you're going to commit to the passing camp, you should probably show up. Peyton Manning cut him a little slack and put out a statement saying, I enjoyed having Johnny Manziel here, and I remember a young Eli Manning missing a meeting when he was 22. We look forward to having Johnny back next year. So very gracious. Uh, Peyton provided him with a little bit of a mattress to fall on, but he's now had to go then to what they call uh, media day for the Southeastern Conference, and that's college football. It's basically like the NFL. It's Alabama and Georgia and Florida and all those big schools. And I got to tell you, Owen, he got put through about six hours of grilling interviews. You know, what are you doing with your life? Are you serious about football? What's Johnny Football's future? So, I mean, the kid is a lightning rod, sort of like Tim Tebow was, except for he doesn't have Tebow's virtuous behavioral tendencies. Yeah, I've heard a couple of these interviews you talk about, and I've heard a lot of media commentary on him, Brian, which sounds incredibly pompous, I must say, in certain cases, and unbelievably judgmental. Now, some of the things you talk about there, if he's getting involved in quite serious fights, uh, that's a a big deal. But some of the other things you talk about don't seem to be a hugely massive deal, and yet the way some of the more established commentators are going on over there, why do you think it is that they're particularly picking on this kid that that it has exploded in this way it's a great question and it's kind of like what kind of gets to the heart of you know what what are we trying to do as sports fans what are we trying to do as sports media you know are we there to report on the games are we there to report on the personalities are we there to judge the personalities are we there to you know i don't know we're in that new era now with you know with twitter and with youtube and and with uh, camera phones and everything where Stuff that used to be considered, you know, the joke that's been going around is we thought of some rogue quarterbacks from the past. Joe Namath comes to mind, a guy who's supposedly, you know, slept with every flight attendant in New York City while he was quarterback of the Jets and was this great party and bachelor all the time. Well, how would he have survived the Twitter camera phone era? He wouldn't have. You know, Ken Stabler of the Raiders, who famously, they say, used to party all Saturday night and show up Sunday and win football games with alcohol in his breath. You know, how would he have survived? So the question is, is it the new era? Are, we, uh, are there too many voices in sports media now providing too much sanctimony Shouldn't we just enjoy the kid on the field? And maybe if, if this year on the field he takes a dramatic step back in performance, then you start wondering, hey, I wonder if all this stuff has affected him. He's not as good a player. He's not as much fun to watch. So we're in that kind of that netherworld of like, you know, what is fair and what's not fair? What's, what's a rational commentary and what's not rational commentary? Because college is college, Owen. I mean, these guys are, these guys are kids, and we're holding them to sort of adult standards, you know? And I think that's why Peyton... Manning put out that sort of artful uh, um, statement there to sort of give him a little bit of a break. But, you know, some people think that he's too big for his britches. Some people don't like that. 
Some people, some people don't like to see other people succeed. You know, some people don't like to see uh, other, you know, kids have everything handed to them on a golden platter or whatever at a young age. You know, there's a lot of jealousy and, and hatred and schadenfreude in this world, sadly. So many, many psychological strains at work. You know, I, I, I got to just tell you, as a football player alone, the kid is unbelievably compelling. And hopefully in a couple weeks, we're, you know, we're at the end of July, early August, and um, you know, hopefully it, it, when the season starts, He'll just keep playing great football, and we won't remember it. But he is, you know, there's some legitimate, a small amount of concern, and I do see that I think his parents gave a big interview to ESPN, the magazine, which I have not read yet either, but apparently they express a little bit of concern about what they think is maybe too much partying. So this is definitely a story yet to be written completely. Yeah, that piece is by Wright Thompson, Brian. I just read that myself before uh, coming on to chat to you. It's really good. It's a very quite a now that people have a bit more background on this guy, I would recommend they go and seek that out, Wright Thompson, um, on ESPN.com. But just uh, probably a last word on this. And I don't want to speak on behalf of all of our listeners, but if we were to make a snap judgment on the guy Brian, if we, were, if, we, if we right now want to decide whether or not we think he's totally misunderstood and just being jumped upon, or whether he is himself a little bit too jumped up for his own good, Johnny Football, did, has he commented on this? Does he accept that as a nickname? Yeah, oh yeah. He, I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't Okay, well then it. forget about it. I've lost all sympathy. <laughs> he's set himself up for a fall, Brian. Well, I will say this, Owen, and I, I do want to root for the kid. I love college football and I love great players. I have a sinking feeling that it's all coming too fast for him, and he's going to have trouble finding his footing. But I could be wrong, but you just said if I had to end it on a snap judgment, I'm worried for the kid. Let's put it that way. Just another quick story, quick question, Brian. That's about the story that's been going on probably for the last number of weeks, longer than that, I'm sure, actually. But it's another baseball drugs scandal. It's a sport that hasn't exactly been on top of this over the years and has maybe been dragged kicking, somewhat kicking, screaming into proper adequate testing and all these sorts of things. The latest situation involves Alex Rodriguez, one of the biggest names, and a bunch of other guys, not, of all, not all of whom have been named yet. Is this a big story what exactly is happening huge and the, and the other name is and i wouldn't expect many of the irish to, to who unless you follow baseball to know there's a guy named ryan braun who was a uh, sensational player for the milwaukee brewers now they're not a glamour team but he was the national league mvp he's one of the best hitters in all of baseball and he, he what's really happened and why this is a huge story is as a you mentioned alex rodriguez is involved and he's sort of the you know he's with the yankees and he's such a he's such a lightning run and has been forever because he's a very arrogant aloof guy who a lot of people it's very easy to hate him he's had all the money in the world um in his career and and, and you know he 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 lied about using steroids earlier in his career and and then did his fake Mea culpa. So A-Rod, of course, is, draws a huge amount. But this Ryan Braun thing was very interesting because he, last year, when he was accused of a, a positive drug test and actually got off on a technicality when it was proved that his urine sample was mishandled, he went on one of the biggest media offensives we've ever seen in the history of baseball where he, he kind of took the fight to the media, very Lance Armstrong-like. That's the only analogy I can make. Very aggressive, like, you're accusing me of that? You're wrong, and here's what's wrong with you, you, and you, and, and you people follow me anywhere you want, and, and this is a disgrace, and, and you guys are accusing me of this. I've never done this. He said, I swear on my family. I swear on my everything I've ever lived in 28 years. It was a stunning offensive. Like Barry Bonds, when he was accused 10 years ago, he just kind of hung out in the shadows. He was like, hey, man, they told me it was flaxseed oil. You know, it was kind of his only line. Well, Braun set a new standard, a Lance Armstrong-like standard, and then, boom, they busted him. And he had to put out a statement two weeks ago that said, 
I've made mistakes. I'm not perfect. I apologize. And so that is where the wall has come tumbling down. People are outraged at Ryan Braun for basically being the Lance Armstrong of baseball. I mean, you know, Lance, of course, is more international and, and did it for a decade. But basically, that's the analogy. So that's why people are very upset. And, and Owen, I just tell you this, that if there's one big takeaway from this, it's that the climate has changed in 10 years. Ten years ago, when all this stuff was going on with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds, the players' union circled the wagons and kind of said, we're going to protect our players as much as we can, and we're going to fight this. Well, I'll tell you what, in 2013, there's kind of a new generation that's come in that's not the steroid-using generation. You can tell by the home run numbers. And they are actually turning on the players. We're seeing player-on-player sort of um, you know, commentary and you know, player-on-player hatred. Max Scherzer of the Detroit Tigers, Skip Schumacher of the Dodgers, all very strong anti-Braun comments. Others, too, saying, you know, we need to clean this game up. There has been a change. It's not unanimous, but that's the most interesting takeaway from this, is that we are seeing a change in the environment from the players themselves, and the players' union is not defending these guys as fiercely as they did a decade ago. So a bit of a change in how the whole thing is treated um, attitude-wise by the players. We'll keep an eye on that, and we'll keep an eye on Johnny Football. Brian Murphy, great to have you on. We'll talk to you again next week. The one thing we'll end it on, though, is that I think if Johnny Football came over and hung out with you guys, you'd probably have a good time. <laughs> Other than that, we'll let, we'll let the future write the future, all right? Brian, take care. Thank you. Take care, on The sense of apprehension that Brian has about Johnny Menzel it's something that it's actually the big thing that I took out of the Wright Thompson piece which we talked about there I'll tweet a link to that article a lot of journalists a lot of people I'm following on Twitter have already done so actually it's a Thompson a good idea if you like sports writing is just read everything Wright Thompson writes but he focuses a lot in this piece on Manziel's father Paul who isn't really prepared to write off all these incidents as simply his son letting off steam he thinks it's more serious than that there's an amazing quote where he says this is Manziel's father it's one night away from the phone ringing and he's in jail and you know what he's going to say it's better than all the pressure I've been under this is better than that so I don't know exactly where that story is going to end but great stuff from US Murph who we'll hear from every Thursday here on Second Captains at the Irish Times coming up at 6pm today that's yeah they have asked for that really uh, you can laugh I'm, the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that I want to be like me what are you doing down here, you shiny man? <laughs> What's your big story on second captain's football later, Ken? Well, we're going to be talking to Sid Lowe in Spain and Jan Fjortoft in Germany. But we're also going to talk to uh, Chris Anderson, who is uh, one of the two authors of a new book called The Numbers Game, Why Everything, and he means everything, you know about football. Is wrong. Ah, no. Yeah, I'm telling you. So, uh, I don't want to talk to this guy. A few myths <laughs> exploded. You know, a bit, a bit of a dressing down on the cards for yourself and possibly for myself and for all readers of the book who stand to be corrected. So stay tuned. Joe Schmidt has completed his coaching ticket. And uh, the idea, I think, is that he's going to keep it pretty tight. Les Kiss stays involved as defence coach. We knew that from a long way out. Schmidt himself takes a hands-on role with attack and back play. But looking after the forwards announced this week is John Plumtree, a New Zealander based in South Africa. He's been head coach of the Natal Sharks for the last five years, has had quite a bit of success with them and joins us now, I'm delighted to say, to talk about his new role. John, congratulations. When can we expect to see you in Ireland? Uh, we're hoping to leave uh, on the 26th uh, of this month, um, you know, because the kids, I've uh, got three three boys, two, two, two teenagers, and uh, they've 
got to start school over there it's like early September so uh, yeah we have to have to get over there quite quickly so it's a we're in a bit of a mad rush here as a family we're getting the moving vans coming up the driveway and everything so it's hectic time yeah I'm sure it is did the did the teenagers take much convincing to leave for Ireland <laughs> no they, they actually both the boys are born in Wales um uh, when I'm my first coaching job there at Swansea, and uh, so yeah, they're pretty happy about going back. They don't obviously know too much about Ireland, but they've been googling Dublin and looking around, and we've sort of been trying to show them, tell them what we sort of learned in our brief visit there, you know, last week. How did the job offer come about? Um, well, obviously, um, when I finished with uh, the Sharks, um, probably about six, six, seven weeks ago, um, Joe. Um, gave me a call and uh, asked me if I'd be interested and I said I would be and um, I guess he um, was pleased about that and then went about his, uh, um, we had a holiday in New Zealand, I think he was looking over there as well and and, uh, then when he got back they flew me over to have a chat to me and we seemed to get on really well and enjoyed our time there and uh, so yeah they offered me the job which was great. You've coached uh, against Joe Schmidt before. What, did you have any sort of a close relationship or was he, was he just another guy in the coaching circuit there? Oh, no, we've sort of had a little bit of history there. It's been um, going back a long time, actually. We, I had Wellington and he had Bay of Plenty in New Zealand and uh, then he got the Blues and I was with the Sharks. So, yeah, we've been clashing heads for, for a fair while. Um, obviously, uh, when he went to France um, and then to, on to Edinburgh, we, we haven't seen each other for a long time, but... Um, yeah, it's great to be reunited uh, and on the same side with them now. Did you ever imagine the two of you would end up coaching the Irish national team together? <laughs> no, it's, that's sort of the great thing about rugby, isn't it? You know, it's full of surprises, and um, you know, it's, uh, I was really impressed with uh, with him and Les Kiss and you know their vision for the team, and and obviously, um, you know, Joe's done really well with Leinster, and he's got a great relationship with the players and and uh, and with everyone on the board, and um, I guess. Uh, he's a very popular character, and along with Les, and I'm just looking forward to uh, doing my little bit to, to help them out. John, the Irish team, we're, uh, we're going to be coming off the back of a really bad season, the worst Six Nations campaign that we've had for a long time. It's obviously a new brush in now and a new coaching team, but what is it that makes it attractive to you? Clearly you think that there's more in this team, that you that there can be success with this team. What is it about the Irish side? Well, I just think, you know, with the internationals, that you watch over there, you know, in Lansdowne Road there, you know, it's just as, you always, whenever the South Africa are playing Ireland or New Zealand are playing Ireland, you sort of, you always expect it to be a tough match, so it's worth watching, you know, so I've always enjoyed watching Ireland play. Um, they're always tough to really to beat at home and, um, you know, they've got some really good players on that side. Um, you know, I mean, they had a, you know, they, like I say, they had a bit of a tough time in Six Nations last year, but I believe they had quite a few injuries as well. Um, you know, they don't quite have the depth of some of the other major countries. And, um, you know, I guess it's, I'm just really looking forward to it because it's a great opportunity for me personally because, uh, you know, the Six Nations has always been a competition I've really admired and I think um, same with Joe and and, I, and, uh, and it's a good opportunity for us to see what we can do there. Yeah, you take over from Gert Small as forwards coach and I know that he came over as a, a steeped in South African rugby and maybe managed to 
bring some of that that tough style of forwards play over to Ireland. It's an interesting one because we don't obviously have the bulk really in the forwards or in, in the rugby players generally as they would have in South Africa where you've been largely based and probably not the sort of bulk that the New Zealand guys have as well. So we probably have to find a different way of going about things. How do you think, uh, or is it too early to say what your plan will be for getting the best out of the Irish forwards? Yeah, look, I mean, it's, you know, I'm sure that uh, Kurt um, introduced a lot of the structures and, and, and um, you know, sort of the style of play in the forwards that, you know, that I'll be used to as well because of the fact that we've coached in the same country and, and uh, we've, we came we come from the same sort of South African background in terms of our coaching as well. Um, so I'll be looking to introduce a lot of what we do here at the Sharks there and, uh, um, you know, it doesn't matter if they're a bit smaller as long as technically they um, you know they they're accurate then uh, we can you know we can achieve whatever we were set out to achieve so it's just a making sure that you know they're, they're willing and I guess they will be because they're Irish you know they're all they're very up for it and they love playing for their country and um, you know but it's just making sure that technically we we're accurate in what we do as well and that's uh, where all you know the hard work comes in. It's quite a small coaching team, which is how Joe Schmidt likes it, I think. So it's going to be yourself, uh, himself, and Les Kiss is involved again as defence coach. There's no scrum coach uh, specifically appointed at the moment. Do you know the situation there? Are you going to look after the scrum? Or are you expecting somebody to come in? Oh, we'll get some assistance uh, when we need it, I'm sure. Um, you know, I'm not a front row forward, so some of the little detail that you have to know as a front row forward, I wouldn't have a clue because they've got their own world up there, as you know, those blokes. So, um, but we'll get, you know, we'll get a, we'll get some help on when we need it. Um, but, you know, there's some new uh, law engagements, uh, sorry, new, enga- a new engagement that's coming out now where it's lessening the hit at scrum time with the, with the early bind. Um, so I'll be doing some homework on seeing how that's going in the different parts because it's happening in the Curry Cup this year and, and obviously an ITM Cup in New Zealand. So, uh, that's a, going to be a big part of um, the scrum now, and uh, it's, and it's uh, just working out the best ways that we can scrum um, with that new law coming in. John, just lastly, I know uh, we've obviously all been doing a, lo- a lot of reading up on your track record since you were appointed, and you've done so well with the Natal Sharks winning a couple of Curry Cups, uh, the South Africa Coach of the Year last year in 2012. Now, I know it, it didn't end well for you there when you were let go, maybe somewhat unexpectedly. Has that uh, maybe opened your eyes if they weren't already opened to the ruthless nature of professional rugby coaching you're kind of having to come over to the other side of the world now at this stage but these are the kind of things you have to do in what is what is quite a tough job <laughs> yeah 100% I mean if you look at my coaching um, career I mean I've had I've been coaching for over 16 years now at the top top level and I've had three jobs so I've managed to stay you know long have long tenures everywhere I've gone so I'm clearly doing something right with, with what I'm doing you know but uh yeah, this is a different role because it's uh, I'm an assistant coach and I'm there to support Joe, and uh, that's that's really important um, for me. So I'm really looking uh, really looking forward to a slightly change change of role actually, and and it's, and it's a it's a different level. It's you know it's not super rugby, it's it's international rugby, so it's a it's a real step up, which makes it exciting for me. Um, but you know I'm where all of us professional coaches are well aware of. Um, you know what we what we get ourselves into, and it's a tough industry, the the coaching game. Um, but you know, you just back yourself and and uh, and you get on with it. And um, you know that's what happened with me here is unfortunate, but 
that's what happens when you get change of administration as well. You know, you develop relationships with board members and CEOs and, and uh, you know, there's a trust getting built. But when, when there's a new administration comes in, uh, that can change when it comes to the coaching team. So, and that's pretty much what happened here. All right. Well, John, we're looking forward to having you over in Ireland. In the meantime, best of luck with the move there. I hope it's not too hectic for you. Okay, look after yourself, Owen. Thanks for We're joined now for a bit more background to our previous guest by Craig Ray, South African-based journalist. Craig, it's good to talk to you on the new show. And nice to be on the new show. Uh, Hope it goes well. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> Listen, to, just maybe we'll start at the juicy part there, which was the end of John Plumtree's reign as coach there. Um, he said it wasn't easy for him. There was a change of administration. I guess what makes it particularly interesting is the guy who came in as the new boss and let him go. Can you give us just a bit of detail on what happened there? Yeah, I mean, John Smith, uh, of course, the former Springbok captain, uh, was appointed quite out of the blue as the new Sharks chief executive um, in about May, or well, it was probably late April this year. And, um, you know, then John came along, and he and Plum have a bit of history. When John was still the Springbok captain and uh, was playing for the Sharks and Bismarck Duplessis was coming through, Plumtree did prefer to pick Bismarck Duplessis over John Smith, and Smith ended up playing a lot of tight head prop even though he was still uh, very much a Springbok hooker. And uh, and uh, despite requests from the Springbok management to play John at hooker, you know, Plumtree sometimes felt that uh, it was better for his cause, that, uh, and he felt that Bismarck was a better player. And I think that led to a bit of tension between the two, uh, no doubt about it. But I don't think it was that petty in the sense that John Smith was getting revenge when he came in as the new CEO. There was a whole change of the board. Uh, uh, Brian Consell, who had been CEO of the Sharks for nearly 20 years, was leaving. Um, Stephen Saad, one of the wealthiest men in South Africa, is also a big uh, member of the board of the Sharks. He's just fairly recently come in, and I think he's flexing his muscles there. He likes John Smith. He uh, you know, wanted to see a rugby man at the, at the helm of the, of the organization. And I think for John Plumtree, unfortunately, um, while all these boardroom changes were taking place, the Sharks endured a, a terrible run of form in the Super Rugby this year and, uh, you know, slumped way down to sort of 10th on the log at the time this was all happening. And that ultimately, you know, combined with the change in boardroom, uh, left the uh, the new administration wondering uh, what to do uh, going forward. And, and, you know, Plumtree had been in charge for five years, got them to the final uh, once and, uh, you know, no further. So, it, it was probably a combination of factors that they decided, you know, we need a change right across the board. Up until that point, up until the slump this year, what kind of a job had John done? What kind of a is he a highly regarded coach in South Africa? Oh, he's a, he's a very good coach. I mean, you know, he, he, his record, as he said, you know, he's only been head coach three times in sixteen years, and five years of those at the Sharks won two Curry Cups. Took them to the Super Rugby final last year. Incredible performance when you think about it. At Super Rugby, they played a home game in the last pool match of the season. They had to fly to play a wild card playoff to uh, Brisbane to play the Reds. They won that. They had to fly back to play the Stormers in Cape Town in the semi-final. They won that, and then had to fly back across to to New Zealand to Hamilton. This was all in the space of three weeks. I mean, it was a ridiculous schedule. The fact that they won two away playoff games was amazing. Um, yeah, and, and that was obviously a nice um, moment for the Sharks. But overall, they've always been consistently high on Super Rugby standings. They've been um, you know, one of the, the top two South African sides every year. Uh, while he's been in charge, as I said, won the Curry Cup twice. I think ultimately, though, 
he couldn't get them over that hurdle to win Super Rugby. And there were a lot of mitigating circumstances this year. The Sharks had a horror injury run this season. I mean, they, they lost so many quality players to injury, long-term injuries, four or five weeks out here in the middle of the campaign. At one stage, they had 16 players out, and you just can't sustain uh, a campaign with that kind of injury list. So there were mitigating circumstances. But he's a good coach. He's a good bloke. Um, I think he'll fit into the culture of Irish rugby well. You know, he's a New Zealander by birth. He spent 20 years in South Africa, a nice, relaxed guy, but understands, you know, when to work hard. And uh, yeah, he's just got a good way about him. And I think um, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a good fit for Ireland. He really is a good fit for the Irish rugby setup. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the culture there. And I tried to bring that into the conversation with him a little bit because it's very different from the South African culture. And I talk about him almost as a South African, even though, as you say, he's from New Zealand. I know he's, he's been in South Africa a number of years now, as you mentioned. So it, it, there is that issue that coaches have in trying to fit into different cultures. And I don't know if there are any real similarities between Ireland and South Africa, but you seem confident that he'll bridge that gap if there is one. Yeah, I think because he's, you know, he's an English speaker, uh, you know, uh, and I think culturally Afrikaans speakers are slightly different to English speakers in, in sort of the outlook on, on life and maybe, you know, a broad generalization, but I think maybe he's slightly more um, liberal views of the world. And I think John is that kind of guy. He's, you know, he's a very um, engaging personality, and uh, you know, I think he enjoys an adventure like most Kiwis do. I think they, they you know, backpackers around the world are probably mostly Kiwis when you're in your 19, you know, when you're in your early 20s, and and I think he's got that kind of spirit. He's uh, you know, he's he's well travelled. He enjoys the touring side of things. He enjoys the camaraderie of rugby, and enjoys having a you know a pint every now and again, which I think is not a bad thing in this in this uh, pro rugby world where. Perhaps we're losing a bit of that spirit, but don't don't mistake that for a man who's not professional in his approach to the game. You know, he's uh, if one thing the Sharks have produced over the years that he's been there have been wonderful packs of forwards. Um, you know, they they dominate. You think of uh, I know he says he's not much of a front row coach, but he's got a good eye for talent. And um, you know, there's been some wonderful players that have come through the Sharks uh, under his watch. Uh, Marcel Couture, the latest in the back row there, and there's a new hooker called Kyle Cooper coming through. Yeah, John knows how to spot them, uh, especially among the forwards, and I think you know his work will be will be pretty good there. And uh, um, you know the Irish, uh, he might not have as much depth, but I think he will he'll do a good job technically, especially in the lineouts, body positions at, at rucks. Um, you know, defensive work around the fringes of rucks. Uh, he, he, he understands that aspect of the game brilliantly as a man who played lock and flank as well at a high level. So I think, uh, you know, I, I really do think it's a good fit for Ireland. And it helps that he's quite good mates with, with the new head coach. I think uh, there will be a, a natural rapport between the two. And, uh, you know, look out to 2015. I think he could, uh, you know, get the Irish into some good shape for the World Cup. In uh, you know, in Britain and England, in those conditions, it's uh, you know they could be a little dark horse uh, to, to do well in it. Ah, you're just flattering us now, Craig. We'll leave it there before you. <laughs> you love Bombas entirely. Thanks so much. It's great to talk to you again. Okay, take care, guys. John Smith, not petty enough for revenge, says Craig, but. Yeah. Let's just say the revenge is a happy byproduct for John Smith of <laughs> yeah. getting rid of the coach who didn't play him in his favourite position. You know, I mean, it, it's obvious that they didn't work together that well before. You know, it's key that you have good relationships between your CEO and your head coach. And, you know, you don't want to do anything to, you know, uh, you know, jeopardise that. John Plumfrey sounds like, and Craig says that he's known to be a very nice guy. I must say that the new Irish coaching team is the most gentlemanly, nicest coaching team in world sport. Les Kiss, 
Joe Schmidt and now John Plumtree. Mm. If there was a fans. right good sort out between <laughs> the coaching tickets of the six teams and the six nations, I fear that we would be last. But that's fine. That's not a big issue. There, you know, well, you know, Warren Gatlin will be stomping a few heads all over Warren the place. Warren Gatlin, Sean Edwards, Rob Howley. I mean, don't fancy Andy Farrell. Ugh. I mean, you know, Lancaster. No, we don't. No, we don't want to go down. We've got to wrap things up here. But just to remind you, we're going to be recording a pilot in RTE TV studios next Thursday from midnight tonight, or I should say, up until midnight tonight. You can still uh, enter if you want to come along and be part of the live audience for that. Then just email live at secondcaptains.com. You can check out secondcaptains.tumblr.com and um, do all that before midnight tonight. That's midnight Tuesday. Also follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. Yeah, there's loads of details there up on our Twitter page. There's work back through the last couple of days worth of tweets. You'll find us there. Second Captains football is out later today. It'll be out by six o'clock this evening. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, lads, and thanks for listening. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.